Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Creative Control with Vish Khanna. Well, I hope you're enjoying the Jesus Lizard Week on the show thus far. In case you missed it, this week I'm dedicating four episodes to individual interviews with members of the Jesus Lizard because Akashic Books just released an amazing coffee table slash essay slash reflection book about the Jesus Lizard. It's called Book, and you can get it right now. And yesterday, David Yao was on the show talking about book and reflecting upon the band and its existence. Today, drummer Mac McNeely is on the show. I'm a huge fan of Mac McNeely. Grow- I'm a drummer, and growing up, uh, I had I-, I liked a lot of different drummers. I liked... Who did I like? I liked... Um, I liked Brendan Canty of Fugazi. I liked Todd Trainer of Shellac. I liked uh, John Wright of No Means No. I liked Britt Walford of Slint. I like Gary Young of Pavement. I like Ringo Starr of The Beatles. Mark Trombino of Drive Like Jehu. Steve Shelley of Sonic Youth. Levon Helm of The Band. Russell Simmons of The John Spencer Blues Explosion. Everybody who played with James Brown. Keith Moon of The Who. Certainly John Worcester of Super Chunk. Andrew Scott of Sloan. There's probably somebody I'm forgetting here. Kobe Dowdell of The Hubblebunk. And Mac McNeely of The Jesus Lizard. These are some of my key influences. I'm probably forgetting something really important, and I apologize, but these are people I love. So Mac, having Mac on the show is a thrill. I've spoken to him once before, and uh, he's a good man. And we have a nice chat here about book and uh, the band's existence. I think it's insightful if you like the band. So yes, let's carry on with the Jesus Lizard Week on Creative Control. I'm, I'm enjoying it. I hope you are too. And uh, yes, here it is. Myself and Mac McNeely. The Eden Mills Writers' Festival and The Bookshelf are pleased to present Alison Wearing's award-winning one-woman show, Confessions of a Fairy's Daughter, Growing Up with a Gay Dad. This is happening at the E-Bar in Guelph on Friday, May 23rd. Based on her best-selling memoir, Wearing's compelling show tells the story of growing up with a gay father in the 1980s. Balancing intimacy, history, and downright hilarity, 
This is a captivating tale of family life, deliciously imperfect, riotously challenging, and full of life's great lessons and love. This all-ages licensed performance of Confessions of a Fairy's Daughter takes place at the E-Bar, located at 41 Quebec Street in Guelph, on Friday, May 23rd, at 8 p.m. sharp. Tickets are now available at the Bookshelf Bookstore, also located at 41 Quebec Street, or online via ticketbreak.com. And for more information about the show, visit EdenMillsWritersFestival.ca. The E-Bar is not a fully accessible venue. you uh, end up uh, getting in touch with the uh, the book people well you and I you and I have actually spoken before uh, oh we have okay yeah you and I have spoken uh, we spoke around the time of the uh, reenactment tour uh, in 2000 uh, <laughs> okay okay well who were who you doing the piece for then uh, I, it was for exclaim magazine it was uh, here in Canada exclaim I it was a oh okay okay yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I think I do remember, you know, exclaim and something to do with that. But I'm, I'm glad we're talking again. Then that's good. Yeah, yeah. It was a whole Q and A. The way it was published online was like a pretty much our entire conversation. And I mean, I recorded it for a radio show at, at the same time. So it was this weird. I tend to do that. I'm going to do that here. I, I tend to do kind of a combo thing. Sure. Yeah. So what I'd like to do, and I've already spoken to David Yao. Uh, well. In terms of the book, the Jesus Lizard always seemed rather enigmatic to people. I mean, you did a billion interviews, but at the same time, there was always this mystery about the band. This book is like an outpouring of background information, explanation, context. Can you talk about what prompted this idea to to not only reflect, uh, you know, the, the band's existence in a book, but also bear so much? Well, I don't... I think uh, at, at the beginning, uh, it was... Uh, I think we were approached by Johnny, uh, Johnny Temple of uh, Akashic Books about doing this. Like, you know, would this be something you guys would be interested in? Um, and he thought he was really excited about it and thought it would be a good idea and, uh, you know, gave us a few options as to how we could go with it. And uh, I think we all pretty much responded in a positive way and thought that, you know, that was something that, none of us individually had thought would be something to uh, go for as far as like creating a, creating a book about the band or anything. But, um, you know, it was very flattering that, you know, someone would want to even do a project like that. And, uh, you know, it just kind of began that way. And then I think uh, the way it ended up, uh, it turned out really, really nice. You know, I think we're all pretty pleased with it. And uh, the thing that I like, uh, the most about it is just you know comments from fellow musicians that have sort of a unique take on the band and the way they may have you know experienced the band through you know through their eyes you know you get to sort of get a uh, a glimpse into that you know so um, but I think it did turn out well and uh, the way it turned out was definitely not necessarily. Uh, you know, apparent from the beginning, it sort of worked its way into what it developed into it, you know, mm -hmm. along the course of, well, 
let's see if we can get so-and-so to be involved in the book and let's get pictures from here. And, uh, you know, so it was, it was a lot of work. And uh, David, yeah, actually did a lot of work with uh, sort of uh, setting up the whole thing and uh, laying it out. And, you know, we'd all give our opinions and try to go over things. But it was, you know, very much a group effort. But but it, you know, we're just real pleased with it. Yeah, so, you sh- and you long, should. That's a long, long way. <laughs> Go ahead. I was going to say you should be pleased with it. It's great. Well, I'm glad you like it. Yeah, yeah. So it just kind of became what it, you know, turned out to be. It, it was sort of. I don't think anyone had this clear cut idea in in our heads. You know, when it, the project began, and it took a while. It, it was. It was something that kind of slowly morphed over a few years. So. It wasn't like, let's do this and get it out by the end of the year or something like that, you know, where everybody was rushing along. So just kind of pieced together over time. Yeah, and that makes sense. It does sound. I remember there were a couple of different release dates, actually, now that you mentioned the time of it. It seemed to, like, be pushed back and pushed back. Uh, does, does it... Yeah, I think I think that was due to uh, uh, different band members' schedules and, you know, not being able to, to uh, really get everything we were supposed to uh, get collected done by a given date, so then it would get pushed back a little bit more. And that You're right, that did happen a few times. So. Yeah, yeah. You, you mentioned that one of the things you most uh, enjoy about the book now is these external considerations of the band from your, fe- from your peers and from your fellow musicians and things like that. But sometimes it takes a project like this for a band to really learn about your fellow bandmates because you know you don't often have reflective I don't know about you guys but I, I, I sometimes you end up in these circumstances where you don't have reflective conversations about where you came from why you, you did the thing you do was that the case here like did you learn a lot about each other uh, by by going through this exercise yeah I think so I think there was a definitely a, a, a quite a bit of uh, learning about each other um, and Especially the parts, uh, the parts of each other's lives that led up to, you know, being uh, and being a musician, and uh, got, we got to see what interested each other. And you're right, we didn't talk a whole lot about that that type of thing um, when we were together as a band. I think what we did was we just more relied on each other and trusted each other musically, which was a, a great thing for us. We, you know. It's uh, it's hard to uh, you know overstate uh, how important that is because we were able to you know write songs and then perform them and completely trust that the other guys in the band were going to do their thing that would be just what was necessary. You know there was a lot of a uh, lot of trust and um, just uh, I don't know it was just a re- it was a real good feeling. You felt like you were very supported. Uh, musically, you know, and and as well as uh, personally, too, and emotionally. I think, you know, all of us got along extremely well, considering you're in a, you know, difficult situation. You know, the first couple of years were pretty rough. I mean, we, you know, did a lot of sleeping on floors and driving through the night to get to the next place and all like that, which I'm not complaining, but I'm just uh, trying to paint a realistic picture. You know, we, I I did feel like... uh, any success we we had we earned you know but uh but you're right it was a definitely a learning experience you know um to find out you know where we were all coming from and what got us interested in music and then eventually what led to us being in a band together 
You mentioned that, you know, you had kind of rough going in a, in a sense, like you had what every early band has, you know, like a band gets together and they, it can be a bit tough. But I remember there's, there's comments, uh, it might be from Dwayne, he makes a comment about the fact that there was something about this period where you were living all in the same house and you'd come back from the road being cramped in this van and then you'd be back in this house together and in a way, it it, right. it could have been suffocating, but in a way, it was your most productive, uh, maybe prolific period. It's when you were at, at, at maybe at the peak of your power. Is that is that accurate? Yeah, I'd say so. I'd say that there was a real camaraderie about it, and uh, I think that while there were elements that were difficult about being around each other so much, the fact that we did get along, you know, very well with each other help minimize any conflict that that would come up from something like that. And also we were a bit older too, when we got together, we weren't like in our early twenties or, you know, like that age. So we had, we had all been in bands before and I think that helped as well. We, we were a bit more seasoned as far as like, you know, what to expect and, um, well, what was necessary, uh, as far as like, you know, compromises and things like that that you have to make when you're you know going for a group goal you know it's not all about the individual and uh i think we we were aware of that and that was we used that to our advantage because uh you know it was you're right it was, it was very difficult being around each other all the time um or it could have been it didn't feel that way to me you know i didn't i'm sure we all enjoyed the breaks we had but during that period it was uh very intense writing, rehearsing, playing, touring, you know, there was just, uh, it was very, very dense as far as uh, the music goes. And I, I do think that was probably one of our strongest, well, the strongest period we had there, you know, two or three years, that, that was the case. Yeah. You know, and, and sometimes in bands, there can be little subgroupings that emerge and where like uh, a couple people tend to collaborate more or get along better. And there's this feeling, I think, among Jesus Lizard fans that that when you were in the band, you and David Yao seemed to be a little less serious, maybe, than David William Sims and and Dwayne Dennison. Like, do, do you feel like, and I'm not suggesting there were camps, but did you feel that as well? Did you feel like really close? Well, uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I see what you mean. I, I think that uh, David and I uh, had... You know, some similarities in our personalities and just in our general makeup and outlook on life that uh, sort of made it easier for us to uh, find ourselves, you know, in the same situations or laughing at the same things. And, you know, out of that uh, grew sort of a uh, enjoyment of hanging out with each other. So I think he and I felt very aligned. Um, and not to the exclusion of the other guys. I just think it was very easy for us to, uh, you know, uh, spend that time together. So um, we found ourselves hanging out a lot. And uh, I think we just appreciated those quirks in each other's personality that, <laughs> you know, obviously are there. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I just, uh, we just got along, you know, amazingly. Like, you know, we were brothers or, you know, the best qualities of brothers, you know, without the fighting, you yeah. know, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I've spoken with David Yao a number of times over the years, and uh, he has been pretty frank about the fact, when it, when, when we get to the, talking about the Jesus Lizard in particular, 
he's pretty frank about the fact that when you left the band, he felt, uh, I, I think he was heartbroken. And I mean, I think he, the band kind of ended for him then. I mean, it kept going uh, and they made, right. a, they made another album, but he, I mean, there's that aspect. I've talked to him before you guys reenacted, as he puts it, um, and, and he gave me that impression. And then when we spoke about the the reconvening, he just made it. He just said that you and him, in particular, like when you saw each other, it was this, this joyous reunion. Oh yeah, we were you know laughing and giggling and uh, just uh, you know it's like a couple of little girls just you know and, yeah I just couldn't believe, you know we we're just hugging and laughing at each other and just kind of staring and hugging each other and you know it's just a. You know, it's like uh, one of your family has, you know, come back or something. And it's just, uh, I, I can't even just, it doesn't really sound right to even compare it to that. It was just, it was a great uh, reconnection, you know. Um, and I felt the same way when the band, when I had to leave the band. Uh, I felt like, you know, I was heartbroken as well. It was something that I, I didn't want to do that. But I felt like I had, you know, basically two choices. I had my family um, and my wife and two very young kids. And, uh, she was just, you know, it was a lot to put on to her. And, uh, it was, it was a very difficult time because the band was expecting more of me and I felt I needed to spend more time at home. And so there was, it was very difficult to find a, a balance or compromise there. And I, I felt like I had to make a decision one way or the other. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, picked my family, which was, I think it was the right decision for me. Um, and, and I know it was looking back, but it was very difficult because that was my identity. You know, that was what my whole world was like back then. And yeah. it was like, well, you know, you're, you're not doing that anymore. So I was, you know, went through a, a period of depression and, you know, had to work on myself and, uh, find pretty much where I was at. So, uh, yeah, it was difficult. Yeah. Uh, for some folks, the Jesus Lizard is a real um, musician's band. Every member is regarded as one of the best to ever do what they do. And I've never thought too much about that because I just love the band and I've loved, I love seeing them. And it, I, it just it just seemed like a great band. But when I read the book, it is interesting to me that, that Dwayne and David Sims in particular spend a lot of time... I, I feel like they're kind of speaking to musicians. They're talking about their gear. They're talking about theory in terms that only that maybe only players might appreciate, like people who play music. Well, uh, are you talking about uh, the book, actually? Yeah, I am talking about the book. Yeah, okay. Um, I just wanted to make sure I, I was on the same track with you. Yeah, go ahead and, and finish what you're... <laughs> well, my, my point is when I'm reading the book uh, and I read some of their passages, uh, they do seem to be talking about theory and gear in a very particular way that I wonder if a general audience would would uh, you know glom onto or or appreciate as much as a musician and and I guess where right. I, where I was going was and we kind of alluded to this earlier by you saying that one of the most remarkable things about the book is hearing from musicians I'm curious was the respect of your peers your fellow musicians more meaningful than the respect or admiration of almost anyone else did you did you really want to be uh considered the tops in a musical community more than maybe any other one um, well, that's, I think that's kind of a difficult question to answer because I, I don't, I, while I think that we, you know, enjoyed a really solid reputation among 
our amongst our peers, you know, and other other bands, other musicians. That I don't think that that was a, a particular goal that we set out to accomplish. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I wouldn't say that necessarily uh, having uh, fellow musicians or our peers appreciate us would mean necessarily any more than any fan that really got the band. You know, I, I can honestly say that. I don't think that, you know, just because, uh, just because, you know, they're well-known musicians or, uh, you know, bands that have been out a lot, you know, particularly like us, that that means any more than, than any fan. Because I've, I've talked to some fans who uh, uh, have just completely absorbed the band and they are just such, you know, in-depth fans that they not only know all the words, and, and but they, they can talk about the different parts of songs and instrumentation and what happens here and there, and it really means something to them. So I'd say it's almost more um, extraordinary when you can talk to someone about that, and they're not musicians, but they seem to relate or respond to that type of uh, musical you know expression of an idea yeah. that we were doing. So... Um, I don't know. I just I, I find it interesting to see what people thought of the band. Um, you know, like at this stage, kind of looking back, because uh, it's something that I think at the time when we were doing it, we were just so wrapped up in it that you know we couldn't get any kind of perspective really, you know, with what we were doing or what kind of impact we were having. I mean, we of course realized that we were you know getting more popular because we would play bigger and bigger places and the money was getting better and things like that. But, um, I just, you know, I think we are just completely wrapped up in it and trying to just work on our songs and, you know, that type of thing. So, yeah, yeah no, and I, um, and, I, I hear you. I, I hear you. I guess I just was, I was even surprised by reading so much about the things I was reading about in the book in certain passages, just like how much was just like, right. you know, I use this, amp, like I use this amp and this, ba- like it's int- it's totally fascinating because it also speaks to kind of an aesthetic within the band. Um, in terms right. of like, right. We, right. We, we, yeah, that's all it is. And I just, am curious if that's all it is. Yeah. And, uh, that's, that's, yeah, it's, it's, uh, uh, interesting question. Yeah, I didn't, now that you mentioned it and, uh, are speaking in that way, I can see what you mean that, uh, there are a lot of references to particular gear or, uh, you know, uh, a type, you know, a specific, um, musical theory that might get applied, uh, and things like that. Although I don't think that that's, I think that's just to, in order to be specific more than it is for anything else. Uh, you know, but we, we did, take ourselves very seriously musically, mm-hmm. but we didn't take ourselves seriously, you know, as people so much. We, uh, it was pretty easy to poke fun at each other and ourselves all the time, <laughs> but we did, we were serious about the music and trying to present it in such a way where not so much that we'd impress other musicians, but we just, you know, we, we knew what we were capable of, I think, and we wanted to really deliver something that we didn't seem to be hearing at the time. And, I don't think any of us consider ourselves tops in our field. I mean, there's players that can play circles around all of us, you know, but for what we did, um, I think we were, we definitely were able to leverage a lot of power and a lot of precision with, 
what we played, which was a really kind of interesting contrast with what David was doing with the vocals, you know? Yeah. That kind of made, that made, it made a very interesting mix that, that I think some people just didn't get, you know, and then other people that, that understood it or were able to kind of enjoy it, they, they completely got it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, what you're saying is, is uh, that resonates with me. I think that's true. There, there was a period where people like me would be like, no, you don't understand. This, this is the best band in the world. And then to get kind of <laughs> blank stares when they hear or see it, you're just like mystified. You know what I mean? And, and then on some level, the, there's like a little community that grows around the band of people that are diehards. And you, you, right, yeah, yeah. We were we were lucky to have the fans that were very, uh, you know, um, diehard fans. They, they were extremely that way, and they just, uh, you know, just they seemed to understand what we were trying to do almost better than we did. You know, it's like we we don't we, we don't know what we're trying to do. We're just doing something that seems natural. You know, and that's kind of how we um, wrote music. I don't think we were you know so so much uh fashioning it to be a certain style or type or or have this feel or that feel we just uh, uh what we wrote was what kind of just came out naturally when we got together mm. and so again you know during during those productive years especially we were very fortunate to be you know the the four of us as a group because it was pretty easy to come up with an idea and then extend that out to where it actually turned into a song. You know? Yeah, yeah, no, totally. When I read the one of the things that really kind of surprised me in the book, and I don't know that I'm reading into this too much, but I David Sims seems to suggest a more prickly relationship with Steve Albini and and his recordings of the band than I think I was expecting. I knew there was some friction. But can you, and I'm going to speak with David uh, soon, I'm hoping. We, I sent him an email. Uh-huh. But what, what, what do you reckon was going on there between the two? Because as, I, as the book goes on and David talks more and more about the recordings and what he doesn't like and does like, and by the time he's talking about Shot, he's like, this is the best album I've ever played on, which uh, I, I was just like, really? Like everyone, I, I assume the band is aware that people, com- the common wisdom is like, between 1992, 1990 and 1993, these are like the signature Jesus Lizard albums. And then David Sims is saying, no, <laughs> the, the record we put out well, for Capital, that's the one that I want everyone to hear. And I, and I took that as like a weird kind of comment on Albini's work with you guys. What do you make of that? Well, you know, I can't, I would definitely not, I can't speak for David. Um, I think he's proud of the way his bass playing came across on that on shot you know is my guess and that he's also proud of the way that it was mixed so that you can hear it uh to his liking but you know i wouldn't agree saying the shot was our best record you know for me personally i would tend to say the first you know three records or so were the best and you know my favorites were probably had goat and liar you know to be honest mm-hmm. those three um because i think you see a whole lot of growth uh from from those and you know if you take into account also the the live shows we did during the this podcast is brought to you by eHarmony the dating app to find someone you can be yourself with why doesn't eHarmony allow copy and paste in first messages because you are unique and your conversations should reflect that. eHarmony wants you to find someone who will get you. 
How are you going to know who gets you? If people send you the same generic conversation starters, they message everyone else. Conversations that actually help you get to know each other. Imagine that. Get who gets you on eHarmony. Sign up today. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. It's three years or four years, then uh, we just were able to really, you know, turn it on and kind of kind of rely on what we were doing and trust it and then uh, just keep trying to take it up a notch and take it up a notch. And uh, so, you know, I can't really speak for him why that's so important to him and why, you know, yeah. but as far as Steve Albini goes, uh, I n- I've never had a problem with Steve. Um, I've always enjoyed working with him uh, personally. And I think he, uh, I-, I just, I don't know. I-, I seem to remember us having a lot of fun and a lot of laughs in the studio. And I, again, I'm referring to those earlier records, uh, you know, I think as time went on, that last record we did with him down was more of a thing where we wanted to try to get a little more control or perhaps David did or, you know, I don't know. I don't know where this whole thing came about where I think maybe there was just some disagreements as to where the band should be going either musically or sonically or something like that. And I think... We just uh, didn't want to keep repeating ourselves, so we were trying to, uh, you know, uh, branch out a bit. And I think, uh, you know, to, to be honest, it would, would you know, I, like I said, I never had a problem with Steve. He's always been, you know, easy for me to get along with. So I just don't, I don't really know where that comes from, you know. I, so I can't, I, it's yeah. hard for me to, hard for me to say. I, I hear you. There's a quote that I've used as a jumping off point. I wrote this piece and I've submitted it and it hasn't been published yet, but there's a quote from Guy Picciotto about um, legitimacy. He talks about how the band had legitimacy even when that term didn't mean anything or something. And when I think back on, and I'm this is totally a reduction of your entire existence as a band, but when I think about the story of the Jesus Lizard and how it came about, that word legitimacy really rings out to me because you came about, the band came about, in this period of like underground culture being potentially in America anyway at its strongest music culture the music in the underground at the time was very strong and you came about as the band developed underground culture was kind of usurped it was kind of it was brought up by mainstream culture i mean this is old news but then the band's trajectory right. of being really cool and really well liked but then moving on into some semblance of mainstream culture by working with a major label and working with a different person other than Steve Albini, something switched. The The band's perception, the people's perception of the band seemed to switch. And when I read David Sims' comments about this, I get the sense that he went by going after a little bit, I feel like going a little bit after Steve and that era, he's trying to maybe highlight how significant that post-touch-and-go era was for the band creatively. 
And and then it becomes this thing about which era is legitimate. Why was the band's legitimacy questioned, even though they were still the same band? You know what I mean? I mean, the other side of it is they weren't. Well, you, that's what we. That's what we. Right. That's what we were saying. Uh, you know, we we of course were aware of the backlash, but it, you know, it wasn't that we, you know, thought we were, you know, any anything special or you know this or that or whatever. It just we were trying to take it to the next level, whatever that is. And unfortunately, there are a lot of people that once they like whatever it is, any kind of artist, uh, once they don't like that to change. They they want that to be very, uh, you know, they want to know where that is and they don't want it to be, um, they don't want it to jump ship and, and jump onto another ship. <laughs> I mean, and it's just... Yeah. It can be it can be it can be a little stifling because I think uh, you know we we just really wanted to kind of set ourselves up in a in a bit better financial position and we were a bit tired of working you know extremely hard and not seeing you know beyond a certain point not seeing a whole lot more of that um, and I think we felt like you know. During that time, the mid '90s, there there were, you know, some bands making a, a decent go of uh, working with major labels, and we felt like uh, that the landscape had changed enough to where it might be possible to work with them, and you know, they wouldn't be just the devil trying to, you know, you know, buy your soul and everything like that. So it was difficult. It was. I think it did hurt all of us that. We had some people just saying, "Oh, they're sellouts now," without even giving what we were doing a chance. You know, it's yeah. almost like, um, I don't know. It just it seemed unfair to us, and so, um, you know, we we lost some fans because of that. But you know, I'm not sure that we would have done it any differently. I think we were just trying to get a little more financial security, and you know, from signing with Capital, we were able to, you know, put ourselves in a better spot. You know, I was able to actually put a down payment on a house, you know, which was important to me and things like that, you know, more adult oriented things. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, the other side of the argument is maybe people just wanted you to be young, scrappy punks forever and not really acknowledge that you were, you know, aging. And well, yeah. And, and we were, we were humans too. We, we, we can't be, you know, I don't think any band can constantly be, you know, someone's precious darling, uh, you know, best kept secret, you know what I mean? Uh, out of the mainstream for, uh, forever and, uh, be expected to evolve and grow. You know, you just can't really be boxed in like that. So, you know, I, I, I would just hope that more people nowadays, of course, now it's changed. And like, there's a lot of bands on, you know, either major labels or have major distribution that people don't look on as sellouts because they're, you know, they've just been doing it for so long. I think that that line has blurred quite a bit, you know? Yeah. But back then, I think it was a point of contention for a lot of indie fans, you know, that they somehow really, I don't know how, they just really believed that anything that had to do with a major label was bad, negative, and you need to avoid it. So it seems to me a very narrow view to take, but, you know, I, I can't speak for other people's views, but, you know, that's that's what it seems like to me. Yeah, and I think that time of that kind of orthodoxy is not as present among uh, the younger generation of music. Even people my age who might have cried sellout at that point, not to you about you necessarily, but, I mean, I went to every show and after that time and was 
disappointed by the small audiences that would come to see the juice lizard. Like it kind of, it bothered me too. Cause I just didn't know what was going on. You know what I mean? Right. So anyway, right. it's, right. A, it's a, it's a thread that I've noticed and I thought it was interesting to bring up now because we live in such a weird time. Now you guys re re reformed. Re, what's well, sorry. Reenacted yourselves <laughs> as David, David says, uh, in 2009. And I mean, there seems to be no that the, the cynicism towards that kind of exercise doesn't seem to be there where I think that is more ripe for cynicism than almost anything. You know, the idea of a band coming back without new material and just playing. Um, but I mean, it's, as I say, I think the climate is just different. What, what, that, that reunion re- reenactment rather uh, that went well for you, right? You were happy with that. Oh yeah, it went, it went very well. And we were aware that it was, something that was not meant to last very long because we, we did not have new material and we thought, okay, you know, this, this is, uh, we we were very aware of that, that it was, you know, going to be us presenting our older material for fans of the band, the people that either, you know, saw us, you know, a few times and really liked us or people that maybe were too young to see us and had heard about the band and were curious. And, um, it was just a real good chance to play play those songs again, and we, you know, I, I probably told you this at the time when we did that last uh, interview that we worked really hard to make sure we were in, you know, the right physical condition to deliver those songs the way they were meant to be played, mm-hmm. um, so that so that we weren't, you know, just some sort of like. Uh, boring rehash of those songs you know look at those old guys up there they're nice guys but they can't play anymore well that, that we weren't going to even do it if it was going to be like that so you know once we got the songs back up to our standards as far as playing them goes uh we felt good about it you know and felt like yeah let's do this this for some reason it just felt right I, and i can't really tell you what that was because we had talked about things like that before and they just kind of never took shape you know and then it just it just seemed like this was for for whatever reason or combination of reasons it seemed ripe and uh everyone was you know available and wanted to do it and it started off really as just a few shows and then that kind of uh kicked into the older records from touch and go being remastered and re-released and then it just kind of uh everything kind of fell into place so um that was another kind of uh you know just fortuitous uh situation that you know kind of kept expanding but we we realized we couldn't just keep doing that and uh keep making you know reunion tours and and getting back together because then it would i think the specialness of it would have diminished you know yeah there there was the sentiment at the time and it's reflected in the book by somebody's uh comment that weirdly for those of us who saw the band at the time in the during the original run if you will and then saw it during the reenactment tour. The reenactment tour seemed like the band might have been almost better. Like I don't know how to possibly that's that's says as much about our perspectives and our age and everything, right? But there was just like so much excitement about how great those shows were, the the comeback shows, if you will. You know that that's wonderful to hear because that's that's all we would have wanted, you know, and uh, you know, as to. Uh, you know, the the idea was to get up there and impress people, you know, once again, you know, and, and, and see if we could, you know, shock a few people with, you know, just the whole presentation of the whole thing, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, and we and we realized we realized too we were older and we weren't pretending that we were back in the '90s either, which is I think maybe an important point to make. We weren't kidding ourselves that we were just going to pretend this is like old times, even though we were playing the songs from back then and we didn't have new material. So there was a real conscious, uh, you know, there's a real awareness that we were older and we were doing this thing, but it wasn't just tongue-in-cheek nostalgia either. It was, it was some real, uh, I think there's we felt some real depth and connection to those songs still and that they were worthy of being, you know, performed again you know at least on a limited scale like we did so yeah yeah, yeah. no that 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 makes sense what i asked david Yao this question uh and uh he was pretty definitive about it i'm gonna ask you too because part of the excitement about the 2009 uh experience of seeing the jesus lizard was that it kind of provided this hope <laughs> that potentially there might be there was a lot of great energy in this band and what I asked David when we spoke recently was whether he was ever privy to the band kind of screwing around on something new, like just sort of, you know, in the process of a sound check or a practice, when, you, when you're warming up, you just start playing sometimes. And I asked him, like, did, you, right. did that ever happen? Did the Jesus ever just try fooling around with a new song or something? And he said, no. Not that I'm aware of, <laughs> and he he's very fairly adamant that that that's not something he wants to explore. In your experience, in your memory, was there something going on? Were were you kind of like feeling each other out again? Well, I, I don't think there was any uh, concrete plans at the time to to do that, or even any. Uh, I don't remember any, um, you know, uh, messing around with like a, a raw idea or anything like that. I think we were. Uh, very focused on what what we were there to do, um, which was to play those songs as best as we could. And, you know, I just, everyone had other things going on in the background. So it, it wasn't really like, let's just fire up the band again. It was like a, it was a different, um, and I won't say that it was, you know, different in a bad way or a good way or anything. It was just different. And so we felt, um, like, like, you know, it's not just like, here we go again. You know, it was more like, well, we're doing it this way this time right now and let's enjoy it. And we did, you know, and it was, but I, I think that um, for a while there may have been talk of, you know, getting, seeing if we could write some new material, you know, after that was done. But then everyone kind of splintered off into their own, uh, you know, lives and, and, and what they already had going on and, I think uh, it would take an awful lot to get us back together to write new material because it just doesn't seem to be something that any of us have been actively pursuing with each other. You know, I think yeah. there was a time when we were more or less open to it, but then as more time went on, I think that it, it became less of a real uh, possibility. And, you know, I think that if we were to do something like that, that it would have to be, it would have to feel pretty important and necessary for all of us to do instead of just, oh yeah, let's just do this. You know, it wouldn't be something taken lightly hmm. by us because we'd again want to make sure that the the standard was up to whatever we felt it should be, you know? Yeah, no, I, I hear you. What, whatever, whatever that is, whatever that is, I, you know, I don't know what that is, but whatever we, you know, when we were all satisfied going, yeah, we did a good job on that, then we would want to you know, have the same type of feeling with like a new project or something like that. 
Right. Uh, so at the risk of, you're not supposed to, you're, what is it? You're never supposed to say never, but at the risk of saying never, is this book the final chapter for you for the Jesus Lizard? Uh, you know, I don't know, because there's some, <laughs> I mean, I can't say never, because, uh, you know, we never thought this book thing was going to happen. And uh, before that last reunion thing in 2009, you know, that I I felt pretty sure that that was it. So it really doesn't pay to say never. And uh, there's there's some footage of the band that's been shot that's really, really good. I've seen a little bit of it. And um that's not been put out yet. So you just never know. It's, um, you know, but, but I, I would say that, uh, you know, there's nothing actively in the works right now, you know, to yeah, yeah. try, try to, to, there's no product, you know, about to come out, you know, near or in the future or anything like that, that the, I'm aware of. So. The, the footage you're alluding to, what era was it shot in? Well, some of, some of it was actually of the reunion tour. Oh, okay, so this is beyond the club album DVD thing that came out, right? Right, and uh, it's uh, it's just it's some of some of it was done in Chicago. Um, it's, uh, some of the November shows we did uh, in two thousand nine, and it's just uh, some of it's really really well done. Okay, and, and so I, I would I would hopefully one day like to see that come out again, just for fans of the band because. The audio is so well done, and the editing is so well done. It's it's much more than just a band video. It's like it's re- really well done. So, but you know that's something that you know with with any luck, you know, might something might happen with it. You know. Yeah. Okay. And you yourself, are you uh, playing in any capacity? Like, do you play locally or anything like that? Well, I am just starting to get back into that. Um, as a matter of fact, there's a couple of things. Uh, I'll be doing coming up soon in Chicago here one with uh, another friend of mine who plays drums and percussion and it'll be the two of us with a bass player and uh, we're going to do something uh, kind of very groove oriented uh, instrumental and then uh, got something else lined up a little bit later that'll be in April then we have something coming up in May that should be a little bit more more improvised with a little bit of a loose structure where uh, we'll have drums, bass, guitar, and a saxophone. And again, that'll be instrumental stuff. And we'll go a little bit off, or, off more into uh, different territories with that. Okay. And we'll just see what happens. And uh, I just got back from Austin, Texas, uh, jamming with uh, Jeff Pincus, who used to play bass in the Butthole Surfers. Uh-huh. And he and I are thinking about trying to get something going. Uh, so we'll see. You know, I'm, I'm becoming more active as the years go on, which is good because I, I felt a little dormant for a while, you know, and, and I, I, you know, recently got the itch to uh, play and write again. So I'm writing some music and it's good. Yeah. Well, good for you. That's great to hear. Mac, you know, you're, as a drummer myself, you're absolutely one of my favorites and uh, someone who's influenced oh, me. Yeah, no, it's 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 my pleasure to say it. Um, is it possible to tell me a little bit about some of the other collaborators? Are you keeping it under wraps for now or the ones in Chicago? Uh, yeah, well, um, it's just uh, one thing uh, I'm doing with uh, is with uh, Dave Sycott, who was in uh, Machines of Loving Grace and Stabbing Westward a long time ago. And, uh, you know, he... Uh, he and I want to have been talking for a while about doing this kind of dual drumming thing. And 
Um, it might not be so much two drum sets. It might be a drum set and then some electronic um, or hand percussion stuff. And uh, that's the thing that will be coming up soon with like a real kind of heavy uh, bass driven groove going on. So uh, I think that'll be fun. That'll be like a lot of just, uh, you know, we're we're not going to worry about song structure so much. We're just going to like really like let the drums drive the thing, you know? And I think that's, you know, for a drummer, what could be more fun than that? You know? <laughs> <laughs> sure. Sure. Okay. That sounds cool. Uh, well, the other thing is uh, a friend of mine, I have, I know uh, Gordon uh, Patriarca, he, he'll be playing bass and he's got a couple of friends of his, um, uh, two players, uh, guitar and sax. And uh, I, you know, there, we haven't really gotten together that much on this project that's coming up. We've done some like loose planning on it, and uh, I think uh, it'll be more where we approach different pieces um, as in a unique way. In other words, we might for for one piece we might do we might say, okay, let's all approach our instrument in a very non-traditional way. Whatever that means, let's use that as our starting point for this piece, and then you know we may develop a theme or something like that, and uh, and this again goes back to that subject we were talking about earlier, where you really have to trust the other guys, and uh, because you're kind of swimming without a safety net, you know, and uh, and you don't want it to be just you know free jam, and you know, but you want enough uh, possibilities there so that you know magical things can happen if it's gonna if they are gonna happen. So it's a uh, it's it's kind of, you know I'm going out on a limb I'm trying to push myself out a bit out of my comfort zone and I think that's good for any you know musician or artist to do you know once in a while I mean I I love playing rock music it's going to be the the thing that's my favorite always but you know I've I've done some experimental stuff before and before I've even moved to Chicago I was in a couple of different um, band situations where we would you know, do a lot more exploring and uh, improvisation. So that that's I enjoy that too. All right, cool. Well, that's so, great. It's great. Yeah. To, it's great to hear you're active again. As I said, so yeah, that's cool. Um, the only thing I neglected to ask you about is the fact. Well, the only thing I meant to say is that I was very surprised to hear you were struck by lightning as a child. Um, oh yeah. That's a <laughs> yeah. Stu- that's true. It's a true story. <laughs> I'd, I've never heard that before. Is there any chance that you're your drumming is because like, the, your abilities have been impacted by the fact that you were struck by lightning. Is this a, a course of action you would <laughs> recommend to aspiring drummers? Well, I wouldn't recommend it because it was pretty, uh, pretty uh, alarming experience to uh, to have happen to you. You know, wasn't wasn't real pleasant. Um, not so much that it physically hurt, but it was just like very disorienting. And uh, uh, I, I've been, I have no idea what what. It, what effect that may have had on me, like good or bad, you know, <laughs> you never know. Yeah, but I, you, I survived it. You know, <laughs> do you have like a sense memory of what happened to you? I know you kind of were. Th- you say in the book, you say you were you were thrown twenty feet. You were struck by lightning and thrown twenty feet. But do you remember this? Do you remember the the sensation of being struck, or do you just remember waking up? No, I don't remember. Uh, well, it's kind of hard to describe because it's almost like. It was like a a buzzing feeling, but like, you know, times a thousand, but it was just for so brief a moment that um, it's hard to, you know, put that into, uh, hard to verbally describe that, really. Um, And and then I just, uh, 
was very disoriented, you know, and uh, scrambling around on the ground. And I knew I had been thrown because uh, I, I think I had some bruises from hitting some trees that were around there, and I was pretty far away from where I started huh. um, when, when it happened to me. But, you know, it, it wasn't long before my senses came back to me, and uh, I realized what had happened. But, it, it, you know, it freaked me out, you know. So, <laughs> but, but I'm here. <laughs> you know, so I, I, let's just say it probably won't happen again, <laughs> but you never know. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> Well, I, <laughs> I, I'm glad we're ending on a relatively positive note, uh, in a sense. And yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Matt, I, I do really appreciate this, Mac, and uh, it's it's nice to speak with you again. And I'll send you a sure. link. This, so this is all uh, definitely going to be for a podcast, and then I'm going to try and turn it into some print pieces as well. And I'll, if you want, I can send you links or send them to your book people and uh, see what happens. Sure, that would be great. You know, um, I, I really appreciate that. I'd, I'd love to follow up on it and see what see what it turns into. You know. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I hope uh, I hope people pick up the book because it's as I say, it's fantastic. Well, great. I'm glad you like it, and uh, I enjoyed talking with you again. And uh, take care, and uh, hopefully we'll you know reconnect in the future yeah, somehow. Yeah, sounds good. Sounds good. Thanks, Mac. I'll I'll talk to you later. Okay, talk to you later then. Okay, bye bye. Next time on the Jesus Lizard Week on Creative Control, electric guitarist Dwayne Dennison is on the program. Please, listen. Hey, thanks again for checking out Creative Control with Vish Khanna. You can email me about the show at creativecontrol933 at gmail.com. That's creative with a K, control with a K, 933 at gmail.com. You can also follow our Twitter at Vish Creative, V-I-S-H-K-R-E-A-T-I-V-E. And you can also like our Facebook page. A version of this show airs on CFRU in Guelph every Wednesday at noon Eastern. And you can listen to that online at cfru.ca or if you're in the KW region at 93.3 FM in Guelph. You can also sign up for the weekly mailing list for the podcast and the, and the show at vishkana.com and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. I believe that is everything I wanted to tell you. Thank you once again. sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusion Supply. See site for details. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. 
The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.